Welcome to Real Talk JavaScript, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walleen, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode 86 of Real Talk JavaScript. Let's go ahead and introduce uh, Gil Fink. Thank you, Gil, first off, for coming on with us. Um, for those that don't know Gil, he's a web development expert, web technologies GDE for Google, Microsoft Development Technologies MVP, and he's the Sparks' CEO. So welcome to Real Talk JavaScript, Gil. Welcome to Real Talk JavaScript. <laughs> uh, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself first, Gil. Where, where are you located in things? Okay, so uh, as uh, you mentioned, uh, I'm uh, uh, the CEO of Sparksys. Sparksys is, is my boutique company. We have only one employee. I like me, it. My, me, myself, and I. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm do, you have okay. any, do you have any big uh, employee battles then? Do you have yeah, big, yeah. big arguments it, in meetings? Yeah, so from time to time between the GDE part and the MVP part, we're battling one each other. Um, <laughs> so I'm uh, located in Israel, um, working in the development uh, for almost 20 years already. Uh, done a few jobs uh, before I became a freelance. Today I'm a freelancer. Uh, that includes uh, the, the regular things like developing and then becoming team leader, development manager, architect, uh, and etc. etc. And sometime uh, six years ago I decided that uh, I need to go freelancing and today I'm uh, doing that. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's uh, Ward and I kind of do the same thing. So yeah. that's yeah. awesome. Well, we know we know it's awesome, and then there's those parts that aren't awesome. But that's a different podcast. So, <laughs> so we're going to talk about uh, kind of React in the enterprise, and in some of the information you told us about. Um, tell us a little bit about where you've been using React. I know one is very applicable to what's going on today, and it sounds like you've done some work with uh, uh, Israeli health department with uh, the whole coronavirus going on. Yeah, so I'm using React in the last uh, four years, uh, combined with Angular, because I'm doing, it depends on the customer, Angular development and React development. Uh, so lately I was contacted by uh, the health department in Israel, the government health department, and uh, I'm currently helping them to build uh, an app which integrates React and D3 to generate a tree that shows the, uh, the chain of infection of, uh, of patients in Israel. So this is something that will go on produ to production, I think, uh, in one week. Uh, and uh, you will be able to uh, see the, the chain of inf uh, the infection chain uh, uh, which happens uh, during the pandemic. So we use some uh, database to get uh, all the all the nodes of uh, of the tree, and we build them uh, using a process uh, uh, 
uh, that shapes all the data to 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 the T3 uh, um, library, and then the we just create or generate from from that data the 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 tree that shows you how one patient infected another and another and another, and you can really see the the the, the, the disease spreading and it, it's uh, it's like a horrible graph to look uh, tree to look at because uh, sure. it's because in, it includes uh, all the sick people and uh, the data about uh, people who died and things like that but uh, it can it, it helps the uh, the epidemiologics in the health department to understand how the disease is developing and to get uh, or to to do decisions so decision makers in the government of israel uses this uh, application and other measurements in order to understand how to shape the things that uh, the government is currently doing how to quarantine places or things like that yeah yeah nice so from a technology standpoint you mentioned d3 which is awesome it's amazing what you can build with uh that and some of the libraries did you write some just custom components that wrap d3 or do you use third-party d3 components or what you do there it's a custom component that wraps the entire d3 and generate the entire tree and on top of that there are uh, uh, components that uh, we're using to filter the data um, so the user can you know uh, pick the dates uh, that he wants start date end date and etc uh, etc et and or even this if he wants to get the data about one uh, uh, city or another thing is uh, uh, data on uh, 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 you know countries that uh, 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 flights came with in some infection uh, corona infection and things like that so that this part is uh, helping us to you, you know you break the data because it's insane the amount of data in the in the tree because Currently, we have something like 12,000 people who were infected in Israel. I guess that in other places, there are more or less. Um, and uh, you get all this data, and you can't show the tree with all this data because in too much. Uh, un underneath the surface, the tree is created using SVG, the scalar vector graphics. Uh, this is how D3 works. So, you, if you have, if you think about it, you have um, something like five elements in the document object model in the DOM that represent one person. And if you double this with twelve thousand, then you your app won't work. It will crash. Uh, because the browser can't handle so many elements in the web page. So uh, we had to come up with the solution for that. And this is how we're, what we are doing is filtering the data uh, and only showing some part of the infection chain and not all the data. At first, when we built it, you could see the old data in the tree because we had 2,300 people who were infected. Now it's like 12,000 12, and the, the app is, uh, you know, uh, 
can be yeah. very very slow in rendering and things like that. Yeah. So so you you figured out how to filter it and keep it from blowing up. You wrote wrappers around D3 to make it easier for you to interact with it from the framework where you're using. And that framework is React, right? Yeah. The, the, the application development framework. The, the application development framework is React, and we isolate the D3 component from it. So the, the idea was I helped to write some parts of the D3. Uh, other people whom you might know, El Ad Betzal El, uh, hmm. you, uh, from um, uh, or uh, even uh, uh, Uri Shaked were involved a little bit in this uh, in this uh, development, nice. uh, and and then uh, we we after we created the the entire thing, we gave it to the, to the government, uh, and they are using it uh, as uh, the source to to show uh, the epidemiologics. Uh, the data in a more fashionate way than what they had before. So this was a this was just a bunch of you deciding to volunteer this project, and the government took it up, or or were you commissioned to do it? Or because actually, no, it's, it it started as a as a initiative by Shai Resnick and Elad Besal El and uh, uh, Benaya Peretz. And later on, uh, they wanted to, to, they, I mean, the government wanted to have this and uh, maintained it. So I uh, uh, jumped into it, to that and help, help, that, uh, help them with that. Um, so now I'm the owner of the entire D3 components uh, component and I'm doing all the development, but, and also, once I understand, understood that they are wrapping it in React application, of course, then uh, I could help them with the React application as well. And this is what I'm doing right now. Let's take a break to hear from our sponsor. Hey, Ward, you know, I was building an application the other day and I pulled in this really cool UI component, but it brought along a lot of dependencies with it. How do you deal with that? I don't like that, John. Um, it reminds me uh, that... The AG Grid, which is a uh, an advanced uh, data, editable data table that we use in a lot of our enterprise apps because it it addresses the complex scenarios we encounter. Um, AG Grid doesn't have any dependencies at all. Zero dependencies. Well, tell me why why is that good? Like, what is the value of having zero dependencies? Well, it's it's wonderful not having to wonder if while I'm pulling that in, I'm also pulling jQuery in or Lodash or who knows what. Uh, in part because that's extra stuff coming over the wire. It's extra files that I don't know what they're all about. Uh, it means when my client security team has to evaluate this, they're evaluating AG Grid and not everything else that might be slipping in under the covers or something that we have to worry about there. You know, it's great to see this day and age, you can have a zero dependency library that does something like complex data grid functionality. So all of you out there, do check out AG Grid at their website at ag-grid.com. And welcome back to Real Talk JavaScript with Gil Fink and Dan Walleen and Ward Bell here, your hosts. Uh, Gil, I, I think we could do a really interesting talk sometime because I think a lot of people out there wonder how, with technology skills, wonder how they could contribute. Um, and they, you know, how they could make a difference because we're sitting here with our skills and we don't know what to do with them exactly. But that's a different radio show. Getting back to the technology. Uh, so what... You know, um, are there 
specific challenges in or architectural decisions that you made in in the way in which you wrap D, make D3 work within React? Something we can learn about that? Um, it, really, it's uh, straightforward. The only thing that you need to, uh, to be aware of is the rendering. Because uh, some of the content we use Memo to... Uh, use memo <laughs> to to wrap uh, some content uh, uh, to not enable a lot of uh, re-rendering or to to make the the, the thing more efficient. Uh, but uh, in the whole, it's uh, very straightforward. Um, right, that's the just... thing in React. Right, you have to be very careful about telling it when to when to re-render. So uh, yeah, and uh, you need to understand to be that you you have to be very efficient in your rendering. So uh, this is something that uh, uh, you would like to to not refresh the entire graph, for example. But sometimes you have to refresh the entire graph in D3. How do you do that and make sure that React isn't uh, over, you know, doing DOM like there's a whole DOM comparison. I don't think they call it virtual DOM anymore, but whatever they do for detection of of that stuff, how do you how do you sidestep that? So there are a few ways to do that. Uh, uh, for example, you can control the updates. So you you can if you understand how updates works work in uh, in React, then you can control that. Okay. Um, Using memoization, for example, use memo if you don't want to, or if you have some computed uh, value that you don't want to repeat uh, computing it, uh, or using things like, uh, um, I won't say caching because there is no notion of cache, but uh, but uh, you, you, you will want to use the effects or use effects uh, and to re-render them only if some uh, something changed. So you give the use effect, for example, the, the hook use effect, um, an array of things that you want to monitor in order to re-render or to rerun again the, 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 the rendering. Um, so you've mentioned, uh, you said use memo and use effect. So clear, these are, the word use is the telltale that you're, <clears throat> you're making Using advantage of, Re- of React hooks. Yeah. Um, so this is a this is entirely a hooks based thing. Are you using React classes at all, or is it totally just functions with hooks? So it's depend. It depends on the customers. Um, in this uh, solution, uh, I use the uh, hooks, uh, but uh, in other solutions, uh, as I said, it depends on the customers. There are customers who have the entire application written with classes, and then I can come to those uh, uh, to those companies uh, as a consultant, and I, in the past, used classes used classes, so I know how to handle those as well. Uh, so, it as I said, it depends on the on the customer because this is a, a brand new uh, application that we created for the health department. Then we used hooks. But you can uh, do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, I can do every, everything that I well, want. And sometimes, uh, because... sometimes people do that, Gil, because it's the latest, greatest, and then they find out, <clears throat> oh, I wish I hadn't done that. 
are so it's a great time to ask you um uh are you uh now with the real life experience instead of theoretical experience are you a hooks fan or do you think that that is uh i, I mean i read that uh you should always use hooks if you can and functional rather than functional components rather than classes are you are you there or do you feel that there is uh trade-offs there are trade-offs as a developer i don't want black magic to do all the fancy stuff for me i want to understand this dark magic uh, and this is why uh, i try to drill down into the framework or the library that i'm using so as you said there are trade-offs uh, you're losing some control over the uh, the the entire life cycle of a component uh, but you're gaining more uh, control o- o- on the behavior parts of the components and uh, some people will say that it is a more robust solution uh, but in the end uh, you can build it either with classes or hooks so uh, as a consultant i will say if you ask me whether to use hooks or not <laughs> it depends <laughs> i was going to say I, I know what the answer is cuz that's the standard response it depends now it depends. have you on the uh on the hooks one thing i i have heard and this is in pretty large apps though is uh and i haven't heard a terminology for this yet but i guess we could call it hooks hell <laughs> or custom hooks um where apparently some folks are going crazy with custom hooks and I guess it's getting a little bit harder to follow the flow. Have you run into that at all, or has it been pretty just much, pretty much the standard built-in hooks you're using? I'm using built-in hooks and uh, custom hooks as well. It depends again yep. <laughs> on the situation. So, for example, uh, um, I used uh, um, to, to create uh, the click outside the component behavior. So I created a use click outside hook in order to do that but not everything should be a hook <laughs> um it's uh yeah, it's a it's it's problem. not a silver it's yeah. not a silver bullet it's not solving everything and as you said it can be very confusing to to junior developers for example who come without any background and start working with react to understand apps that uh, or uh, or uh, or project that uses or heavy lift hooks like hell, as you said it, uh, because it's <laughs> I'm thinking uh, of DLL hell. You know, remember that? Yeah, yeah rem- I've, I've been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah but I, I'm too. not sure. I um, I'm kind of curious what the because I know what DLL hell is, um, and that's that's usually like there's this thing and this thing. You know, it's just being overwhelmed by the depth and the and the versioning there. But I have a feeling that hooks, whatever hooks hell is, and I don't know what it is, because you actually are encouraged. I, I'm encouraged to write, you know, it's easy to write a custom hook. It's not hard. So where 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 does it go wrong? What uh, what is this hell that we're talking this special kind of hell? What happens? <laughs> like it's like uh, it's like uh, every, every line of code in your component starts with use. Uh-huh. <laughs> use X and then use Y and then use Z and then whatever and everything is like use, 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 use. All the behaviors are out there in different places and the component uh, might look thin 
but it is less cohesive to understand what it is doing or what, what is happening underneath because you have so many hooks that you just don't know what is happening. You kind okay. of lost track yes. of, it's like herding cats, it sounds like. You, uh, yeah. you yeah. try to follow the flow, and then you got to jump to this file, and then back, and then jump and to it, this, it's not, and back. Yeah. So, so it's, it's that. But it is linear, right? Like if, if hook A comes before hook B, um, do you have a problem with, well, it's because actually, now that I think about it, if you've got hooks A, B, and C, and each hook has, can take place, has three parts, you know, when the thing is loaded, mounted, when it's unmounted, and when it's when there's some kind of change in there. So you could have things that look linear, but in fact are interacting <laughs> at different points in the life cycle. And is that where it gets crazy? Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it can be very, very hard to cope. Um, there are places that I visited um, before the, the Corona crisis uh, that uh, heavy lifted the, the uses, usage of hooks. And if the hooks or the custom hooks uh, aren't, uh, you know, self-documenting themselves and you don't understand what they are doing, then the, the entire logic is out, out of your component and you don't know what is going on. And things might get, uh, you know, you, you might get some bug in, in the hook and the, the component won't behave as you expected and you don't know why it happened. You you thought that you are using the the, the 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 API as expected, but you got different result. So, of course, it, it depends on who wrote the hook and the the quality of the the hook and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But not everything should become a hook, in my opinion. I was just like, going to ask. So to to wrap this up, is that your final, like if we said, hey, what's your final advice to people that maybe are looking at hooks but haven't done them yet? Is that kind of what you would say is number one, just don't make everything a hook, but any other advice there? It's like, it's like in the past, uh, the, there was, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in the serv- service-oriented uh, architecture, be, everything should be a service. Okay, yeah. Rem- remember those <laughs> times. I do. Uh, oh, then, I remember somebody who said that you should call out to a service to add two numbers together. Yeah. So, <laughs> and he wasn't it, kidding. It it's it's the same with hooks. You can make yeah. everything a hook. So, the, my uh, rule of thumb is don't make and everything a hook. Just uh, use the regular hooks that you have in the platform, like. Uh, uh, and if you need something which is customized, first of all, think if somebody already created it, then think if you really need to create it, and only if you get to the conclusion that you have to have that thing as a hook, then create a hook. <laughs> I got an idea, Ward. Let's make a, we're going to make a React framework that is a microservice custom hook framework. We're going to combine all the terms. Put it right? all together. Micro front end. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to try and jam every pattern in that we can think of. And, and then we'll run it in a micro front end. Then run it in a micro front end. Right. So <laughs> it's got to be a, it, a to do app with three micro front ends one to handle the creation of the list, one to, you know, one for the display of the list. These are completely separate apps kept in separate repos. 
Um, and perfect. Uh, that's that's called job security. Yeah, exactly. exactly. No, <laughs> nobody else will be able to maintain that. Load them on different us. CDNs, you know, and uh, <laughs> we'll put them in different clouds too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I got my. That. I got my to-do list in Amazon, and I got my uh, creation one over there in Azure, and the other one in Google Cloud. There you go. Yeah, uh, don't do that, folks. We are obviously joking, but um, well, moving on to some. So, thanks first off for the all the advice on hooks and stuff, because I know that is a really popular thing that you know we hear about a lot. Now, it sounds like you've also done some really cool stuff with uh, a component kind of infrastructure library. I think you called it. You want to tell us a little bit about, uh, first off, what that was? And I know there were some challenges you mentioned that you had to deal with, too. Yeah. So I had uh, not one, but uh, many uh, customers who are creating uh, enterprise uh, applications. And from time to time, they need help in creating their own component library or own design system. So I had the experience of doing that in three different uh, projects, uh, all of them were in enterprises, and then uh, there are challenges in creating component libraries. Uh, and I, I can start talking about those, but uh, it will take uh, more than one hour or even more than <laughs> two hours only to talk about the challenges. But uh, I can think of one challenge that uh, we we I experienced it a lot, and it's uh, when you are starting to create a component library uh, using React. Of course, you start with create React app as the boilerplate. Not of course, but most of the companies starts with that, and then you want to create the the, the library, and then things uh, are challenging in your build the the the, the build of the library because. Uh, uh, you know, a library of components isn't only including components. For example, you have a set of icons which are part of the design system of the, the enterprise, the company. Uh, and what, how, how do you use those as, uh, or how do you expose those from your library? So, for example, you need to uh, create a, a build step uh, using, uh, and, uh, for example, NPM scripts or something like that, and then you run some SVGR command. Uh, this is something that I did twice in the in the last uh, two uh, projects uh, to wrap the those uh, SVG icons that I got from the designer uh, into a React component, and then expose those uh, from the library as the icons of the library. Uh, and then, how do you do that? Uh, of course, uh, as I said, it's a build step. Uh, things like, uh, uh, how do you handle themes? Because you have the components, and each and every component has its own uh, style. But uh, there is a style which is uh, uh, general to the whole look and feel of the component library. So how do you handle the build of that style? Uh, and then uh, create the opportunity to the library component library users to adapt your theme or other themes that they will want to create. So this is another challenge that uh, uh, um, I, I help to, to 
to, to tackle uh, as part of uh, of the component library that I, I helped to build. Uh, so, as I said, the build step is sometimes uh, uh, crucial in order to expose this uh, library. Um, and where do you want to put it? Uh, some enterprises put it in their own uh, npm private repository or uh, and then get the, the the latest versions from from that repository others other companies uh, might expose it uh, to public npm uh, i can you can see a lot of uh, uh, design systems uh, uh, libraries like for example sap put their own uh, design system or component library out there in NPM and you can use it or GitHub. Uh, so this is another thing that uh, was included. Um, there are, of course, challenges of wrapping other libraries or component libraries inside your component library. For example, uh, in one company, we took AG-Grid, AG-Grid, uh, as the grid to the, to the entire company. Uh, and we wrapped the grid and we added some functionality that uh, we needed to expose. And uh, you need to be aware that uh, if you're wrapping some component that other people created, there might be bugs in your code or even bugs in the component. No, I'm not saying that AG Grid is full of bugs, but rather uh, you will get the call about the bug from the company, and then you will have to check whether it's yeah, your responsibility, your yeah. responsibility, or the bug exists in some other third-party library, uh, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So. Um, th there are challenges. <laughs> yeah, uh, of Let's course, the challenge of creating uh, the entire components that uh, will be reusable by the entire enterprise or company. This is another yeah. challenge, of yeah. course. <laughs> well, let's take a break to hear from our sponsor. Are you building a web application? Need to deliver it soon and don't have the people to do it? Maybe you're not sure your company has the skill set or experience to do it and maybe we can help. I'm your host, Ward Bell, and my day job is building applications for companies like yours. I don't do it alone. I'm president of IdeaBlade, a consultancy that specializes in enterprise web application development. We're particularly strong in Angular, RxJS, NGRx Redux on the front end, and .NET and Microsoft technologies on the server. We're a small, tight-knit group of people handpicked by me for their expertise, experience, integrity, and team spirit. Maybe we can help you with architectural guidance and hands-on development. And if there's something we don't know, and in our field, really, there's too much to know, we can draw on our personal connections in the Microsoft RD, MVP, and Google GDE networks, as well as our international circle of really great developers, people we know and trust personally. If you've got a project that's keeping you up at night, shoot us an email at info at ideablade.com. That's info at ideablade.com. And we're back. So, Gil, yeah, there's, uh, you know, I've seen more and more, and I'm guessing, Ward, you've seen this a lot too, companies where rather than having the devs install, you know, whether it's a grid or a calendar or whatever it is directly in the project, 
in order to get, and they do it for a variety of reasons. One might be like the icons used, one might be uh, the theme, because what they'll do is in the wrapper component, you know, they'll oftentimes kind of theme things so that when I then use the company component, I'm getting the third party component, but I'm also getting the look and feel of the, you know, company. And it's actually worked out really well for the, some of the companies I've worked with. I shouldn't say all, because I can think of one where they didn't like it. But it's worked out pretty well. Um, I don't know, Ward, have you done that at all, where you've been wrapping third-party stuff, or do you just well, use, use it directly? Yeah. So, because um, I was at one place where they insisted on doing that, and it was just, it was hell. Cluster? Yeah. Um, because... <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got suddenly layer on layer and layer. Uh, and I would say that the the other approach, which probably we've taken, is that um, more often is that we themed it externally. In other words, uh, the comp- like like you know with Bootstrap, for example, Bootstrapped components. You know, you come in and you change the theme, and you don't you don't then um, or uh, uh, you know maybe Angular. NGB or NGX or somebody's always got some wrapper around a bootstrapped component and you basically you got a you globally theme it at at a high level because you take over some of the styles that that component exposes globally. Yep. Uh, and but I think both ways you know one's more portable than the other, right? I mean now, you know the the way I'm doing it is the way I just described is good for that application but it doesn't if if you if the company has if you're the company your client has multiple applications using multiples of these components, then you really want to go the way you were describing, where they they create a lap uh, a library of these of wrapped components that are then used everywhere, so they can get consistency. So I see where you're going with that, Dan. That makes sense. Well, there's one I know that I worked with. They were an insurance company, and they had a lot of remote. Um, I don't know. I guess it'd be the insurance agent people that go out. And they did it because the it was on mobile devices, and they had very specific, from what I heard, I didn't see these, but I just kind of heard the stories there while I was there, very specific, like, touch actions they wanted. Yeah. And so they would wrap the third-party stuff, and then yep. their their custom components, you know, would add the touch. So. Well, and that yeah. makes sense. That, in other words, if you've yeah. got to change behavior, you got to do that. But styles, styles is where things get really squirrely for me. I agree. And, and, and so, you know, you've solved it somehow. I mean, I guess that that I I really see wrapping uh, useful in when you're changing behavior or when you you want to create your own suite of libraries that you're going to share within the company within your client um, that all have the same both behavior and look. Um, but I've had a heck of a time um, uh, when you have when you have when you have uh, as I'm leading to a question really. When you've got these theme, with these CSS classes that are tightly coupled to the component, how do you tweak it? How do you make it um, look like the application standard when they all have their own uh, CSS classes, and you're not there's no sort of depth uh, CSS querying that seems to work. How, how do you finesse that, Gil? Do you, do you go global or do you, do you have component level styling? How do you do it? I prefer component level styling and some, some, some global uh, style. Okay. Um, for example, 
the, the when you're creating a design system, you're using some color palettes or some some things. So uh, you might use a font, this is a font the, which is of course globally and not uh, a component oriented, or you use uh, some colors to indicate uh, or the, the company's colors, whether it's blue, green, whatever. Uh, and these are things that I create as uh, as global, uh, probably with CSS variables, or if you're using SAS, then SAS variables, or things like that. And then you use those in the component later on. Um, but uh, as you said, there are things that are specific to, to a component, and not really necessary to, it's not really necessary that we'll have them globally. So these things, of course, are will be part of the component style. Um, so you use uh, styled components or uh, CSS models uh, that you inject the component model, uh, uh, CSS model into the, the component and things like that. Um, but uh, as you said, styling can be very complicated, and more than that, um, when we we looked at um, at components and we want to reuse them, you don't want to decouple. Uh, sorry, you want to decouple the component from its style, so you won't have deep selectors inside your uh, CSS which makes the CSS more very specific to a component. Yeah. So use more. you use classes or things like that or dedicated classes inside a component and then uh, in the documentation you you will say that uh, if you want to override the the component uh, styling then just override this class or that class uh, or use yeah. a theme of course. Yeah. Well, this is all phenomenal information, especially, you know, for those first off that maybe haven't done as much with hooks. That was a, I thought that was a great discussion on some of the pros and cons there. And, you know, hopefully those listening will get some value out of that. And then obviously the whole wrapping component, we could debate that for probably hours, <laughs> but excellent, uh, Info there. I, I just go with whatever Ward says because Ward. No, no, best. you can tell this is not something where I know what the heck I'm. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of it's it's challenging actually, and and it, it's it comes up in big enterprises all the time though. Should we wrap? Should we not? But to wrap up, first off, thanks Gil for sharing your expertise, and I think it's super cool you're able to build an app that's actually going to be helping during these trying times with coronavirus. So that's that's pretty awesome. I can't say I've been able to do an app like that recently. So I, I like that. So to wrap up, uh, we always end with uh, sharing a thought or a concept or a person or whatever. And those listening know what we do. But Ward, do you want to start us off? Well, I, before we got together, I, I watched this amazing documentary on the history of the Spanish flu. And so I'm going to... Um, which was really, I think, should have been called the 1919 flu because it had nothing to do with Spain. In fact, it started in in the Midwest in the U.S. In a, on a pig farm. Uh, and nobody knows that. Anyway, it's a fascinating documentary. I put the link in the show notes. And um, it'll scare the hell out of you. Um, but uh, maybe that's a good thing. 
And Gil, you have anything you want to share? It could be anything you want on an idea, a person, a concept you want people to know about. Um, I want to share something that uh, some of you probably don't know. Uh, there is a, a new uh, um, playground that Uri Shaked created called Wokwi that uh, teaches how to use Arduino. Uh, and I helped him with the, the component library. I created a component there. Uh, so he's uh, searching for people who will help the, help him create more components, Arduino components, uh, uh, in inside the in, inside his component library. It's not really real Arduino, but it's a, a playground that uh, teaches how to combine. Uh, um, uh, or to create uh, IoT uh, things. Uh, and then you can take those uh, creations that you're doing on screen and maybe plug it or create them in real life. So, so that's Gil, will you cool. will you put the link right in, type that right in for us? We want to make sure yeah, we get we'll, that on there. And, and while you're getting it, I want to say that if you folks out there don't know Yuri Shaked, this is somebody you got to go find. Uh, you got to yeah. learn about him. He's, he's amazing. He's guy. funny. Uh, it, it, you know, so you, yes, you have as you have this chance to, to engage with somebody who is both very smart and very funny and very inventive and looks at the world in a beautiful and exploratory way. And uh, I can't say enough about him. We should have him on the show. Yeah, we should. We should. Yeah. He, surprised we haven't actually. He's a cool guy. So excellent. Um, well, my final thing is based on everything that's going on. I reached out to Pluralsight uh, about a week ago and said, hey, is there anything we could do? Well, I have this idea of trying to help people who, you know, maybe have a technical aptitude. They're pretty good at computers and stuff and maybe have never considered, though, uh, software development. So we're going to be doing a series uh, starting next week, which will be April, I think April 21st or something like that. And it's going to be a six-part series on, it's just the basics but trying to point people in the right direction for maybe changing their career with all the people that have unfortunately been laid off or maybe just retooling their career. And I'm not going to say that in six-hour sessions, uh, you know, you're going to be able to get a job, but the goal will be to point you in the right direction, and there's going to be some different people coming on to talk about their careers and stuff like that, it looks like. So I'll put a link uh, here that will be available. So if you know anyone... Uh, who is has that kind of aptitude or just wants to change their career, then definitely uh, please share the information with them. That'd be Dan, great. Dan, can I learn how to become a runway model? With I'm going to cover that. I'm gonna, <laughs> I, I, I watched I, I, uh, I watched Zoolander, and so I learned all. I, I learned all about that. I know I, I can't do blue steel, but I know you can, Ward. I'm working. I because that's the move I want to make. <laughs> Well, thanks, guys, and thank you, Gil, specifically for taking your time to come share your knowledge. That was awesome. Uh, Ward, thank you. always always great to talk with you. And everyone else listening, check back every Tuesday for the next episode of Real Talk JavaScript. Thanks for listening to Real Talk JavaScript. This show and all of our shows are available at www.realtalkjs.com with links and notes. John and Ward would love to hear what you think, especially about potential guests and topics for future shows. Follow and send them a message on Twitter at RealtalkJS.